This is Create the Next from Pro CFO Partners, where every week we explore strategies and ideas for financial management and growth to help today's businesses put their financial picture in context. Welcome back to Create the Next from Pro CFO Partners. I am Chris Bentliff and I'm joined again by Raji Kara. Raji is our not-for-profit expert, knower of all things, wisdom holder, and uh, it's great to have you back, Raji. Thanks for joining us. And I thought today, it's still so topical for even businesses, small businesses, it would be interesting to talk a little bit about um, the importance of scenario planning. We've got a great idea and here's how we're going to map that out versus contingency planning. Whole wait, things didn't go how we thought they would go and here's what we do. But that's my interpretation. Help me break it down. Let's start there. What do you mean when we talk about scenario planning versus contingency planning? Thanks, Chris. Yeah, you, you, Got it right. Um, so scenario planning, <laughs> good, good guess. <laughs> um, scenario planning is is exactly what it sounds like. You're you don't know what's coming up in the future, and as you're budgeting for the next year, you're really trying to say, okay, well, what if this happens? Maybe your revenue and operations are tied to a, a potential election, or some sort of policy shift or change, or some sort of, sort of government funding that may or may not be going away. Especially in these times, there's a lot of uncertainty. So you scenario plan because as uh, market shift and um, the economy shifts, if there's a downturn, there's normally a lag between nonprofit and for-profit sectors. So donors will continue to fund um, will continue to give money until the they start maybe losing some of their investments or not doing as well and so what we see in the nonprofit sector is typically um, after a market crash the funding won't go away for about eight to 12 months there's a lag so knowing that there's this sort of delay in loss of funding uh, we encourage nonprofits to do scenario planning um, for that next future year to say, well, okay, knowing that there might be a dip and we might lose some donors, might gain others because this pandemic has definitely had some winners and some losers. Um, and, and a lot of nonprofits are seeing new funding streams that they wouldn't expect possible before. Um, but others have really suffered. And so what does it look like if we lose 20% of our revenue? What do we need to, um, and what's realistic? You know, I had a lot of my, I sit on a bunch of boards of nonprofits and I walked them through, said, let's make come up with two to three scenarios of our best case and our worst case and somewhere in the middle. And let's see what we feel comfortable with. And so a lot of them use the worst case just because they were like, well, we want to be super conservative and let's try to operate and scale back. And what does that look like if we lost 40, 50% of our funding? What would that do to our programming? What does that do to our staff? And many nonprofits, they're mostly personnel in terms of expenses, um, depending on how you operate. So how do we continue to operate without losing staff? Do we furlough? A lot of them did salary freezes and hiring freezes so that they could maintain their current staff and not have extra unemployment out in the world. Um, so that's sort of scenario planning where you come up with your a couple of scenarios to say, maybe we'll, we'll get a new donor and it'll be our best case scenario. Um, but a lot of folks try to plan for that really conservative worst case just to see what that would look like for operations. Contingency planning is a little different. It's more of, you know, when things are just 
normal. Like I would say you're doing a budget for next year and you want to figure out, well, we have a couple of, if we got this funding, I would hire X, Y, and Z people. We would travel more. We would do, we would do a staff retreat. There's all these other things on our wish list that we would love to do. Um, and let's put that in there as like, well, if we got this funding, we would do X, Y, and Z. Now, if we didn't get another funding that we were expecting and we budgeted for, what does that, where do we cut? What are the, and what are the dates and timelines that we need to make those decisions by? So you prioritize what you currently have in your budget that you're hoping that you will actually be able to action out. Um, and then sort of prioritize those and say, maybe we can delay a couple of this, the positions that we were planning on hiring. Maybe we don't do this event that we were planning. If by say November, we don't get that funding come February, we don't do that um, program or project. Um, so it's more like you're throughout the year, you're checking in to make sure that you are hitting your targets and that you're able to continue down the, that list of priorities that you are hoping to sort of institute and, and um, run. Is that like a quarterly check-in or a monthly check-in or how often? I suppose it depends on the organization. It depends. I would say you should do that at least on a quarterly basis with the leadership team. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be a, an involved process. If you set your, your targets ahead of time with the board's knowledge and the leadership team's knowledge, it's really easy to kind of even as you're running your monthly report, say, oh, whoa, something's not happening. You're constantly in communication with the development fundraising team. And if they tell us that we're going to lose $500,000 of funding, then we can immediately go back to our budget and say, what did we say? What does that mean for our, you know, our plan? And where, where do we need to maybe cut? And if that $500,000 of funding is being lost, is there a new funding stream that replaces that? And if not, then let's look at what that does to our programming and our, um, and our expenses. Is there, you mentioned that there's as much as a year lag between when sort of the private sector experiences something and how that starts to affect donations and things like that. Is the same true for recovery? Does it take a long time or does that ramp up pretty quickly once those who are in a position to you know, start giving start to feel like their situation is improving? The recovery is a bit staggered. Um, it does take a while for some of the bigger foundations where their investments are sort of tied up and they have a longer term planning process of like, well, this year we're giving out this many dollars. Uh, if they lose a chunk of their endowment, uh, they won't be able to recover as quickly. So they, there is that lag on the uptick also. But with individual donors, there tends to be a little more fluidity and like, um, you know, spikes. So as they start to recover, they'll start to donate again. Um, and that can happen quicker. So it, it's, I would say it, it depends on how much your funding is dependent on foundations and government versus individuals. And that's where you'll see sort of the, the lag or, or lack thereof. Create the Next is brought to you by Pro CFO Partners, who believe every business deserves to work with an expert CFO to guide its success. Pro CFO Partners are expert financial officers networked across industries, verticals, specializations, and situations. Fulfilling the role of a part-time CFO with all-time commitment, Pro CFO Partners utilizes the innovative and exclusive FGC financial flywheel as a framework that creates momentum to drive your financial functions for sustainable success. 
Visit ProCFOPartners.com to explore how we can implement a systematic and scalable financial system to help you achieve your goal. ProCFOPartners.com What do you think, you know, it's so hard for any of us uh, to think beyond the pandemic because it, it hit so hard and it's so unique and, and I think has made a lot of us, you know, I don't know, in a constant state of, of awareness or even defensive preparedness. But on the other hand, there is there is normalcy and, and there is the normal ebb and flow that is how most of us, I think, uh, in any sector should be ready to sort of conduct our business. How do you um, how do you see the right posture for that? How do you how do you think we should be thinking as we start to ease into a universe where we are maybe looking beyond the pandemic? Should what lessons should I have learned? Should I have a pile of cash on hand? Should I be uh, getting into that new sort of project that we hoped for as quickly as we can so that it's behind us? What should I be aggressive and assertive or should I be conservative and defensive? Obviously, it depends. But what's the healthy way for me to be thinking about some of these things as I run or am really involved in leadership of my not for profit? Um, I think there's a couple of things. One, it obviously depends on your financial situation where you are right now. Some who are were able to um, squirrel away money and have that cash, a healthy cash reserve um, might be able and have the luxury to plan uh, more easily and readily for growth and for the next phase of the organization. Those that maybe struggled a lot during the pandemic and were spending down whatever reserves they had um, they're going to be looking to build back those reserves. And in terms of what normalcy looks like, it, that's still a little TBD. Um, and I think it will depend uh, across the various, because the nonprofit space is so vast, it will depend a lot about, uh, you know, what sector you're in and where, where your funding is coming from um, and where the needs are. I think there's definitely been a push, at least during this pandemic, towards like food safety um, and security and, and health and, and safety, um, as opposed to some of the other ones where, uh-huh. where there's an environmental, uh, you know, uh, aspect or conservation that's not happening as much and, and it's needed. Um, the, the government is still like, well, go use your parks. They're like the safe way to like enjoy outdoor space, but where's the funding to sustain those parks? Hey. So um, yeah. it really depends on, on what your recovery path looks like. But I would encourage folks to look at what are some of the, the lessons learned and some of the new technological um, changes that have happened in your organization over the last year, year and a half um, due to the pandemic? And what can you capitalize on? Do you, you know, maybe board meetings can be part hybrid, part online if they weren't already, um, like in person or in online. Uh, maybe your staff meetings uh, can, maybe your office space doesn't need to be as big. Uh, you know, there's so many questions that you should take a a step back and really assess and say, do we need to go back to the same operations? I would, I would encourage everyone if they haven't done so already to start taking a step back and saying, who needs to be in the office? Um, Who needs, who can work remotely? There's, there was always this push to, to this like work-life balance and folks working remotely and not, and, or at least part-time remotely. And what does that look like now? Um, What does that mean uh, for us? as we start to come back to the office, yeah. uh, can we take time? Um, so. These are great uh, points. And I was going to say, what, what do you think lessons we can learn from this 
in our present reality. And you've pointed out a few that, you know, are true for all of us. I, I think that we went into a certain reality in 2020 with a status quo that we were so used to and that was so familiar to us that we hadn't second guessed it. We hadn't given it additional thought. And then when we were forced into a state of innovation, even if that meant our innovation is how do we conduct online meetings, um, for many of us, we've found, look, this is a minimal interruption or, you know, and so that can change probably uh, the whole dynamic, not just of how we run our organization, but even how we do outreach, how we have donor events, um, uh, what what we can use uh, or, or create, you know, kind of these strategic plans for spending. All these all these ideas might be shifted or changed a bit. Do you agree? Absolutely. I mean, I can't tell you how many virtual galas I attended this past year. <laughs> so, and they were really well. Um, they were all different. Some were more interactive than others. Some were pre-recorded. Um, and I understand that it was a pivot and like pretty stressful for the folks who were throwing it because they hadn't, this was new to them, but it ultimately the, you know, expense to dollar raised ratio ended up being better because their expenses ultimately were lower. Um, and then it maybe didn't, they didn't raise as much. Some did better, but, you know, um, I think a lot has lowered their targets in terms of what they hope to raise. Um, and I just, I'm on a planning committee for a, a gala for one of the boards I sit on. And we were discussing our upcoming fall, uh, you know, gala. And we thought, well, it should be in person at, you know, if we can do it, even if it's a partially outdoors. It's going to be in the late or early fall. So it should still be good weather here in New York. Um, and let's live stream the, at least the, the awards portion of it and the speeches portion of it where we hadn't done that before. Um, and I came from another organization where we used to always live stream all of our gala events because we had people all over the country who couldn't make it. So you know, using that technology in a, in a different way, like let's make it a hybrid um, and see, because that gives, that opens up the door to people who may not be able to afford to come. Maybe they give a minimal, whatever they can donation to just live stream um, the, the main event, if you will, if they can't make it for whatever reason. And I think it appreciates and respects the um, advancement in a lot of sort of uh, technological comfort that has been developed by the average person over the last year, where in the future you might say, you know, maybe maybe our donor base is whatever trends more elderly or or something, and so we can make some assumption, fair or not, that maybe they're not so comfortable with live streaming. Well, that's not true anymore. Now we all know how to do it, and I think you're right to say let's take some of these things that we've learned and now incorporate them into the new going forward. Versus sort of, I don't know, drawing a line and saying, let's just go back to the way we did things. We've got an opportunity here that uh, in this recovery that I think is pretty special. Yeah, it's funny. I'll tell you a quick story about that. I had a client that was a Y. So like they had a ton of community services and programming. And during the pandemic, as you can imagine, they're mostly in person. Um, they have a pool and they had to shut everything down. Um, but they pivoted and they started doing uh, Zumba classes for their, you know, the retired community 
on on Zoom online. And uh, they were at first sort of apprehensive to, to move it online because most of their clientele or the people who would attend were in their 70s or 80s. And they're like, they're not going to come on Zoom. I think at one point they hit like 50, 60 people on their Zumba Zoom class. So, so you know, and they were all, they all got online because they wanted to do it. And they were all following along and, and dancing and, and exercising. And it was just you know, it was one of the highlights that we brought to the board because who would have ever thought that like they were better attended online than in person, yes. you know? And the convenience is there. It's the old maxim, necessity is the mother of invention. When people had no alternative, they learned how to do this stuff and then they realize the comfort of it or the convenience of it and they're not intimidated by it. And you're right, if we can use those things to our advantage, um, there's so many new opportunities that I think we can take advantage of. Raji Kalra, thank you so much for spending more time with us today. Um, we've got more I think we can talk about in the future, and I'm looking forward to having you back. Have a great day. Thanks so much. Thanks, you too. Thanks for listening, and a special thanks to our subscribers. Consider becoming one today. Visit ProCFOPartners.com and learn how we can help you build a framework for financial management and growth. <laughs>